you open the door as the little bells uh, above you ring and, and you enter this little art shop on the side street and the shop is quaint with rugged hardwood floors, some brick accent walls and old-fashioned crown molding lining the tall ceiling. Beneath spotlights are hanging on one brick wall. Uh, There are these breathtaking paintings uh, with bold and rich colors exploring scenes from distant lands. Along other walls are beautifully crafted wood racks uh, filled with exquisite pottery, seemingly perfect symmetry, bowls and plates and vases and jugs, Uh, like you've never seen before. Edged in black frames and hanging on another brick wall are brilliant photographs uh, that could be the cover of exclusive magazines, people, places, events uh, that, that portray such animation and such life. And you stroll through this little doorway and you enter into another small room and with several uh, large uh, statues uh, Marble sculptures that rival Michelangelo in skill and in definition. It's like you've somehow been teleported to Tuscany or something. And, and you're spellbound by what you see and something dawns on you. All of the art appears to have unity, artistic agreement as if it had come from one artist. And suddenly a door opens and an older man joins you in the room and asks in a deep-worn warm voice, how may I help you? Um, to which you respond, this is, this is quite a shop. This is amazing stuff in here. I've never seen such vivid art, such compelling art before. How, how do you find all of these artists to fill the store with such exquisite art? And with a, a slight smile, the man responds with a quiet tone, well, it's not very difficult. It's all from one artist. And I happen to know the artist well. The artist is me. You created all of this, you ask, stunned? And he says, I believe I have a gift to share. And so I pour myself into all of my art, whatever the medium, so that I can express the creativity that Almighty God put within me to somehow communicate His beauty to the world. And at that moment, the profoundness of the little art shop deepens for you. Uh, Folks, I'm a simple guy, a really simple guy. And in my experience, sometimes simple ideas and arguments can be the most compelling. Of course, well-researched and intellectual arguments are valuable, they're helpful, they absolutely have their place. But I think often the more detailed and complex arguments simply Uh, confirm the simpler, bigger picture propositions. No one would peruse that quaint little art shop thinking the beautiful art sprang from chance and random processes. No one, everyone browsing that shop instinctively assumes that the art was done by an artist. Yet when we talk about almost infinitely more complex art, much more beautiful art, the art of the fine-tuned, organized, uh, uniform, consistent universe and its cause, intelligent people conclude there is no artist and there is no meaning to the art. 
They look at the beauty of the universe and against all rationality, against all instinct, in moral rebellion, they ignore the artist. It's obvious that art applauds its artist. Blindness to the glory of the divine artist in the art of creation is a moral problem, not an evidential problem. It is a moral problem, not an evidential problem. People suppress the truth because of their sin, not because there isn't enough evidence. Bertrand Russell was a brilliant British philosopher, mathematician, writer, and Nobel laureate. He was an avowed atheist, and he was once asked what he would say uh, to God on Judgment Day. He retorted, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. Richard Dawkins was asked a similar question and responded, I'd quote Bertrand Russell, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. Even some of the most brilliant minds enter the art shop of the world and seem to miss the obvious, the art applauds the artist. Psalm 19 gives us simple uh, and rational arguments not only for the existence of God, but for the character and nature of God. It helps explain the profound beauty of what we experience in this world. And it beckons us to come deeper into Scripture, into the fuller story of God's glory and beauty in the person of Jesus Christ. One biblical scholar said about Psalm 19, no poem ever contained a finer argument against atheism, nor one better expressed. But Psalm 19 is much more than a polemic against atheism. It is a divine invitation to delight in God's glory. C.S. Lewis referred to Psalm 19 as the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So let's begin with this foundational point. God is graciously revealing himself to you. God is graciously revealing himself to you. The word revelation is important. It uh, means that God is revealing himself or he is making himself known to us. And some of you might think, wow, yeah, absolutely, I'm all for that. Let God reveal himself to me. I would love for him to reveal himself to me. But have you carefully considered whether you are paying attention to how God reveals himself to you every day? God graciously tells you about himself in the way that he chooses Now, I admit sometimes, Christina, she's telling me things. I'm not getting them because, honestly, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Husbands, listen to your wives. Don't make that mistake. I I just simply am not paying attention. How much more serious is it to not pay attention to God who is communicating something to you? Don't make that mistake with God. God is communicating much about himself to us and it is possible for us to ignore the obvious right in front of our eyes. Whether, whether we are listening or whether we are ignoring, God is still sufficiently communicating. So let's ask the question, how does God reveal himself to us? Maybe through a, a Jedi-like hologram. Or, or maybe some glitter that's falling from, falling from the air conditioning ducts. Or maybe an audible voice when no one is around. Well, there are certainly plenty of weird stories out there, but the Bible talks about God revealing himself to us in two simple ways. I want you to remember these two simple terms. These are important in theology and understanding Scripture. General revelation and special revelation. 
general revelation and special revelation. That's how God reveals himself to us. Louis Burkhoff, he was an American Dutch uh, reformed theologian of the early 20th century, and he commented on general and special revelation. He said this, the Bible testifies to a twofold revelation of God. A revelation in nature round about us in human consciousness and in the providential government of the world and a revelation embodied in the Bible as the Word of God. End of quote. There you have it. Simply put, general revelation is creation and special revelation is the Word of God, the Bible. Now guess how Psalm 19 is structured. General revelation and special revelation. David structured Psalm 19 in three parts. Verses 1 through 6 focus on general revelation. Verses 7 through 11 focus on special revelation. And verses 12 through 14 focus on grace. Psalm 19 was given to the choir master for congregational singing in the public corporate worship of God. So this is for us, God's people. Okay, today our focus is on general revelation or God revealing himself to us through creation, seen in verses 1 through 6. Next week, in part 2 of this message, will be special revelation and grace, seen in verses 7 through 14. And this week sets us up for next week. So it's really best to take all of this as like one sermon. We're just going to continue it next week. I hate to chop the psalm up. Uh, but it's, it's helpful to do it maybe in these two parts. So just understand that we're building here to something great next week. Do you understand that God is showing himself to you through everything that he has made? God is graciously revealing himself to you through creation, through creation. Now, the universe is not God. Looking at a mountain or a river doesn't mean you're actually seeing God himself, but creation is plainly revealing to you things about God. Psalm 50 verse 6 says this, The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 97 verse 6 adds, The heavens proclaim his righteousness. Psalm 65 talks about pastures, hills, meadows, and valleys shouting and singing together for joy. So, God is using his creation to preach to us something significant about himself. Keep in mind, the Psalms are poetry. Creation's discourse is silent. And yet it can be heard through the senses, the vastness of the galaxies, the smell of lilac, the sweet taste of wine, the technological revolution. They all tell us something about the immensity, exquisiteness, goodness, and knowledge of God. Paul explained it like this in Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Everyone who perceives anything hears creation's lecture on the glory of God. God's eternal power and divine nature are plain, obvious to everyone. Clearly perceived, God is obvious to us. 
Academics may wrap their stubborn unbelief in intellectual, uh, in intellectual and scintillating propositions and arguments and publications, but you have to understand this, people of God. God is obvious to everyone. Creation speaks in plain language that absolutely everyone understands. So then, evidence is not the issue. David began to sing, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So then, the heavens are preaching to you the glory of God. The heavens are preaching to you the glory of God. Every day, there is a sermon in the sky for you to hear. Every night, there is a celestial lecture on the weight and magnificence of God. Are you listening? Are you understanding? In verse 1, the term heavens refers to beyond the horizon, the sky stretching over us, uh, and, and even beyond that into outer space, and the far corners of the universe, clouds, lightning, storms, stars, asteroids, comets, meteor showers, planets, and galaxies continuously proclaim that God is supremely glorious. Now, if the message is the glory of God, what is the glory of God? The Hebrew word is kavod, weight, heaviness. Uh, Verses 1 through 6 refer to God as El, or mighty God. That's different from Yahweh, which we'll see in the second section next week. There is a difference here in the names that are being used for God, and there's purpose behind that. The heavens are preaching the weight and the significance of Almighty Creator. An exact definition of God's glory is difficult. Uh, One article from Ligonier.org said this, quote, like many other theological concepts, God's glory is a concept that we have an awareness of without necessarily being able to describe it in its fullness, end of quote. Jonathan Edwards, who knew something about the glory of God, said this, as I was walking there and looked up on the sky and clouds, there came into my mind a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God that I know not how to express. How can we put the glory of God into words? How can we express it? Dr. Robert Raymond summarized, God's glory is simply the inescapable weight of the sheer intrinsic godness of God, inherent in the attributes essential to Him as the deity. So, think of God's infiniteness. Eternality, immutability, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and you are then beginning to grasp His glory. Author and expository preacher Dr. Steve Lawson said it this way, God's weight or glory is the greatness of who He is. His glory is the awesome gravity of His name, the infinite wealth of wealth of his divine attributes as is found in his holiness, sovereignty, wrath, grace, goodness, and so forth. Every aspect of his character is immeasurably heavy, incomparably great, beyond any human's character or ability. Being absolutely perfect, God is awesome in every way. He is a true heavyweight in every one of his divine attributes. There have been very few people, if any, more influential in helping me see and savor the glory of God 
than Dr. John Piper. God was gracious to open for me massive truths in his word through the fiery and emotive preaching of, and writing of uh, John Piper, one of the greatest in my mind, one of the greatest preachers of all time. Piper is very helpful on the glory of God. He said this, The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. It is the going public of His holiness. It is the way He puts His holiness on display for people to apprehend. So the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest. Piper says, The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. All of His perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen, and there are many of them. And Piper said this about Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. What does that mean? It means He is shouting at us. He shouts with clouds. He shouts with blue expanse. He shouts with gold on the horizon. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He is shouting, I am glorious. Open your eyes. It is like this, only better if you know me. That is why I love John Piper. He puts it in beautiful words. Look at the stunning and immense beauty of the universe. Experience its greatness. Experience its goodness and understand what God is telling you through it. God is saying through the universe, if you think that that is great, if you think that that is mind-boggling, if you think that is pleasurable, I who made it am infinitely better. Look to me. Be wonderstruck by me. Enjoy me. The main point of the sermon of creation is very easy to discern. God is inexpressibly weighty, awesome, beauty, beautiful, incomparable, superior and significant. The universe has one resounding message, the supremacy of God in everything. The farthest object visible with the naked eye is the Andromeda galaxy, located an astonishing 2.5 million light years from Earth. Now, I want to give you that in one number, okay? That's a number, but in miles. And this is one number that I'm going to give you. This is the miles. 14 quintillion, 606 quadrillion, 563 trillion, 427 billion, 345 million, 637,530 miles. You can see the Andromeda galaxy with the naked eye, and it is telling you from all those miles I I don't even have a framework for a number that big. It is telling you God is magnificent. God is amazing. God is profound. God is infinite. When, When lightning strikes in the sky and when thunder booms and it startles you, it's God telling you through His creation, I am brilliant and I am omnipotent. When you sit, maybe on the beach, and you're quietly looking out over the ocean or some beautiful valley and you see the sunset which paints this amazing scene in the sky with vivid hues of pink and orange and blue. It's God telling you through creation, I am supremely beautiful. And when you look at the nighttime glow of a full moon, which is great, and it is God telling you through His creation, I am preeminently bright. I am preeminently glorious. All of the finest good pleasures of the world 
Welcome us to see and savor them in light of the greater pleasure of the glory of God. That is creation's purpose. Now, David paralleled his first statement in verse 1 with his second, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The expanses above us that we can see and that we can't, they celebrate the work of God's hand. It's his handiwork. It's his artwork. Are you listening to what creation has to tell you about God? This one verse, simple verse but profound, teaches you to hear the glory and power of God as you peruse the art shop of the world and delight in the beauty that you see and experience. Allow the cheers of the art to awaken you to the supreme beauty and aptitude and capability of the artists who fashioned it. You'll see that in verses 2 through 6, they simply expand on verse 1. Verse 2 says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Every day and night, the heavens preach a rational sermon for you to enjoy. A rational sermon for you to enjoy. Each day gushes out eloquent speech, intelligible words, rational propositions about God. You are to listen and you are to rejoice. I saw this Charlie Brown meme. I guess I don't see that many memes, but I, I looked this up, and, and Sally and Linus are um, sitting at their desk in school, and their teacher, as you might know, you know, wah, 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 is teaching up in front of the class, and Sally says to Linus, who looks quite confused, psst, so are you getting any of this? Are you getting any of this? Well, that's how it is for so many people. They, they hear creation speech as if it was incomprehensible mumbling. But it's not incomprehensible mumbling. It's an eloquent and compelling soliloquy expressing beautiful truths about God. Every night is a classroom where knowledge of God is revealed for us. Science is spectacular. When you simply look at the nighttime sky, the complex science involved in that one look, in that one gaze, is immeasurable from the activity of your optic nerve to the light speeding to you from outer space to the nuclear fusion of the stars that you're looking at. There is immeasurable knowledge in those things and events. Knowledge to be discovered, knowledge to be enjoyed, and knowledge which points to the supremacy and the glory of God. Not a day, not a night passes in which God does not give profuse evidence for his existence and significance. This speech, this knowledge is for you to receive and for you to delight in. Keep in mind that accurate science now never, ever, ever contradicts the Bible Because the knowledge which general revelation reveals about God is consistent with the knowledge which special revelation reveals about God. The speech of each day and the knowledge of each night is insufficient to save anyone. The knowledge we get from creation cannot save anyone. But it is entirely consistent with the gospel. And along with the gospel, general revelation boasts of the glory of God. Now, atheism is untenable and undesirable for many reasons, not the least of which is that though atheism recognizes the beauty and organization 
and information in the universe. It disputes the only rational cause and purpose of the universe and gives only one ultimate interpretation of it all, meaninglessness. Is it far-fetched or imbecilic for us to believe that the rational speech of the art of the universe has meaning because there is a glorious and, and rational divine artist revealing himself to us through it? Is that far-fetched? Are we foolish to believe that there is meaning and design? Is this not the same intellectual conclusion that everyone comes to the moment that they enter the art shop and they see the beauty of the art? Many choose to ignore the sermon. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. And they use these imaginative ideas to dispute it, but everybody, everybody hears it loud and clear. Everyone hears the heavens preach. Everyone hears the heavens preach. David said in verses 3 and 4, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, there are actually two different ways to translate the Hebrew here uh, of verse 3. And surprisingly, they're exactly opposite each other, which makes us scratch our head in a sense. However, either way that you interpret the Hebrew here, it's going to give you a true point that's absolutely right. Some translations say their voice is not heard. And the ESV suggests the speech and the words are heard. So if their voice is not heard, the context would then suggest their voice is not audibly heard. That's not yelling at you with, with audible words. Uh, you have to see in order to hear. If the speech and words are heard, then they are heard by seeing and not by hearing an audible message, and they are heard everywhere by everyone. A star will not talk to you. If it has, you might be suspicious about the star. I wouldn't listen if I were you. Uh, but the star flickers above everyone's head, and everyone hears its voice. The Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, naturalist, and Christian all hear creation tell the same message of the glory of God. David said their voices and their words. Well, who's he talking about? Whose voices? Whose words? Well, the context points us back to heavens or the sky above. Together, the voice of the heavens goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Every day, the entire world hears the sermon. From the United States to India to Brazil to Russia, all around the world, there are approximately 7.6 billion people on planet Earth. And 7.6 billion people hear creation declare the glory of God. Everyone hears. And this is why Romans 1, in Romans 1, Paul says no one has any excuse. No one can say, hey, I didn't get the memo. I didn't hear. I didn't get the message. You can't miss the memo because it's everywhere that you look. In fact, self-existence is part of the memo. General revelation is universal revelation. Everyone hears, but not everyone listens. Some willingly choose to ignore it. Have you, have you ever asked directions and you're tracking and then you drive away and you realize I wasn't listening. 
I have no idea where I'm going. Has that ever happened to anybody? Really? Come on. All right, then I'm, I, there's a few of us. Let's stick together, folks, because I think I've done that. And you know what? It's not that creation is unclear. Uh, it's that human beings are hearing and they're ignoring. Or they're hearing and they're misinterpreting. Or they're hearing and they're listening. You want to be in the category where you're hearing and you're listening. At the end of verse 4 through verse 6, David narrowed in on the sun, which is a persuasive piece of evidence for the glory of God. Listen to how David captured it. In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun, the sun is a compelling illustration in the preaching of the heavens. The tent in which the sun retreats is about 12 hours of God-ordained darkness every night and in the morning like a dashing young uh, groom clothed in his best and really, really excited and enthusiastic about getting married to his beautiful bride. The sun leaves its chamber, leaves the cover of darkness and comes onto the ste- scene in a, in a stunning ceremony of light and color. The sun is like a strong man joyfully running his course. He is physically fit. He runs at a steady pace and he knows the way. He doesn't grow tired nor does he give up. He doesn't stop. But with exhilaration, he moves on. Well, that's different than the weak man who's like gasping for air. Some of you might see me running around Mannheim, and I, I think I probably look like that sometimes. Is that guy going to die? Gasping for air, taking frequent breaks. I'm not that bad. I don't, but uh, ends up with a hoagie in his hand. It's coming out of Subway. I'm still on my run, still working out. I don't know. But that's not like the sun. Every day the sun, like a marathoner, bursts forth and runs its course across the sky with joy because God has set its path. And God has given it purpose to tell a story of the glory of God. Remember that this is poetry too. For those of you with the science minds, you might be crawling a little bit with this. This is poetry, okay? This is not a science textbook. From our perspective on earth, the sun rises from the end of the heavens, runs its circuit from one end to the other, and retreats into its tent once again. Of course the sun is the center of the solar system, and earth orbits around the sun at the speed of 67,000 miles per hour and completes its orbit in 365 days. But Psalm 19 is entirely consistent with heliocentrism, but what we perceive In this glorious constant of the sun coursing across our sky every day, what we perceive there, what is right from our perspective, it tells us of the glory of God. The sun has a message for you. At the center of our solar system, the sun is nearly a perfect sphere. Its diameter is 864,576 miles That's 109 times that of earth. Its mass is 330,000 times that of earth and composes almost 99.9% of the total mass of the solar system. Around 93 million miles from earth, the surface of the sun blazes at 6,000 Kelvin, 
or about 10,340 degrees Fahrenheit, and the light of the sun travels at 186,287 miles per second. The light and the heat of the sun reach us in about 8 minutes and 20 seconds. The light and heat of the sun keep us alive. When David said there is nothing hidden from its heat, he was attesting to the universal exposure to the sun, exposure that brings beauty and sustains life on earth. And if anyone is paying attention, they will see that the sun in the heavens is is a beautiful illustration of the glory and power and radiance and majesty of God. The sun in all of its grandeur, in all of its beauty, is a demonstration of the superior and preeminent grandeur of God. The artist's creativity, the artist's skillfulness and aptitude are seen in the art. No one can hide from this gallery in the sky. No one can argue away the artist when the art is shining beauty on them every day. To try to do that is simply irrational. Paul argued in Romans 10, 18 that indeed everyone has heard the sermon precisely because the voice of the heavens has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The sun has spoken above us and there is a clear message given through the light and the heat of the sun's rays. You're in the art shop. You're, you're, you're looking around at the unsurpassed artwork. Beauty. Like you've never imagined. The artwork has a unifying theme. And it's an obvious theme. The preeminent artist who fashioned it all is awesome. That's what it's telling you. Now, where does that art lead you? Where does that get you to? If the art truly moves you, where does it move you to? And this is very important for you to answer correctly because if you're slightly off with this answer, you'll be an idolater who worships the creation instead of the creator, which as Paul said in the passage I read earlier is devastating to people's lives, uh, which is the, the ultimate misrepresentation of the art. All right, here's the answer. God is graciously revealing himself to you through creation in order for you to glorify and worship him. To glorify and worship him. God is so good to give us this incredible planet, this fine-tuned planet for our existence, but God has created the universe to communicate to us his glory in order to lead us to glorify and worship him. Now, general revelation is insufficient for you and me to explain for you the glory of the cross of Christ. It's not going to do that. Uh, We need to receive that message in a special way from God that he reveals for us that forgiveness is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're going to get to some exciting things next week. We need to know of our a reconciliation with God. The universe is not going to tell you that. Next week is going to help us considerably. So please, this is part one. We've got good stuff next week. But here's a little taste of next week. Verse 8 says this. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. General revelation... Uh, will be understood most fully when special revelation opens our eyes to see the supreme glory of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes to see Him in Scripture, then will general revelation uh, be most fully understood. Now, I think to, to end this here, 
Psalm 95 is the application that I'm after this morning. Psalm 95 captures what general revelation leads us to. So for each of you here this morning, general revelation is intended to move you to glorify and worship God. That is its purpose. If creation leads you to wonder but not to worship, you have missed the entire purpose of creation. Listen closely to Psalm 95, 1 through 7. I'll end with this, and this is, this is what I hope you leave here with to know where you got to get to in the beauty of creation. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are all his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being so clear, for expressing yourself so well with with such stunning beauty in your creation that when we look above us to the heavens, to the great expanse, God, we see just a a little bit of the communication of your infiniteness, your bigness, your magnificence, your supremacy. God, I pray that the people of Jerusalem Church would hear the sermon that creation gives and that that would lead us to say, oh, I want to know more from this holy and magnificent God, and may that lead us straight into Scripture where we hear a special message of revelation where you tell us all about yourself. So God, I pray that both general revelation and special revelation would work together for this church, that we would value the beauty of creation but not worship it, not take pleasure in it above the one who made it for our good, but that we will see through it and say, oh God, if this is so pleasurable and so good and so beautiful, how much greater you are than all of this. Help us to get that and then help us to see in the person and work of Jesus Christ the glory of God expressed fully. He is God. He is man. Wow, that is amazing. Help us to value Christ and the word that you have revealed. God, he is the eternal word. And so I pray that general revelation and special revelation work together to blow our minds, that we would treasure you above all things, God. Only your spirit can make this happen, so I plead with you to do it for our church, to do it for each person here. Help us not to miss it, God, but to pay attention, to hear. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.